0: this morning, that's our prayer that you would be exalted over all all of us, all of our hopes and dreams and ambitions, all of our successes and our failings, all of our little kingdoms, all of our accomplishments. We desire that you would be exalted over all of those things. And if you're not exalted over all of those things in our lives, we're doing something wrong. And if you are not exalted above all things in this service, then we are not doing what we should be. And so we take this moment and we pause and we quiet our hearts and we focus ourselves and our attention on who you are and what you have done and what you are calling us to do. Father, I pray that we would see Jesus today in your word, that we would see him at work in our lives, and that we would hear what your Holy Spirit is saying to us in the coming moments. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, folks. You can have a seat. Wow, we've been walking our way through 1 Thessalonians here the last few weeks. It's my task to get us a little bit further along in that journey, but before we do, I I just want to ask you a question. Have any of you at some point in your household said something and gotten a response that sounds kind of like this? Whatever. Whatever. Now, I'm willing to go out on a long, precarious limb this morning and say that if any of you have had a teenager in your house at any point in your lifetime, you have definitely heard that. Whatever. Hey, bud, you really need to clean up that room. Whatever you know, honey, this doesn't look like a very good result. I'm not sure you tried very hard on that test. Whatever. Hey, I was at Walmart this afternoon and I picked you up some new socks. Whatever. I love you and I would do anything for you, including cutting off my right arm if it made a difference in your life. Whatever. Now, Your teenager may or may not really mean that, you know, teenager stuff, peer pressure and hormones and all that stuff, so, you know, don't be too devastated by it unless it becomes a continual pattern, then you may have to concern yourself with it, but I'm going to suggest to you this morning that the attitude of whatever is really the attitude of indifference, it's an indication of indifference. Indifference is really saying, I don't have time to deal with this right now or I don't have any desire to deal with this right now because I've got enough to do. I've got enough to worry about. I've got enough things on my plate. I don't know how many of you folks have ever heard of a man by the name of Ely Weisel, But Ely Weisel was a man who wrote... 57 books. He spoke, spoke eight languages, and he won a Nobel Peace Prize. He passed away just a few years ago, but probably the single defining factor in Elie Weisel's life was that he was a Holocaust survivor. And he went from being an orphan at the end of the war to being a world-renowned humanitarian and one of the founders of the Human Rights Commission, which is an international organization that cares for the needs and the rights of disadvantaged people. And I want to just read you a couple of paragraphs of an excerpt from a speech that he gave here in the United States before Congress in 1999 on the dangers of indifference. Just listen to what he says. He says, indifference can be tempting, even seductive. It is so much easier to see others as rude interruptions to our work, our dreams, our hopes. It is, after all, awkward, troublesome to be involved in another person's pain and despair. Indifference reduces other people to a distraction. Indifference is more dangerous than anger or even hatred. Anger at times can be creative. One can do something special for the sake of humanity because one is angry at the injustice that one witnesses. But indifference is never creative. Even hatred at times may elicit a response. You fight it, you denounce it, you disarm it. Indifference elicits no response. Indifference is not a response. Indifference is always the friend of the enemy, never the victim whose pain is magnified when he or she feels forgotten. The opposite of love is not hatred, it's indifference. The opposite of love is not hatred, it's indifference. Now let's move this to the context of the church. I want to say to you this morning that as I look out over our church, as I think about all of the people that God has gathered and entrusted to us in this family, I'm more concerned about us becoming indifferent toward each other than I am concerned about us hating each other. Does that make sense? When I look at everybody that's here this morning and when I watch your interactions and I hear you talking and after the service and I survey our groups and our our classes and all the times that we interact and we serve together, you know, most people are nice people. We want to get along. We don't want to hate other people. I'm not concerned about us really hating each other, but indifference is a concern that we would not even see each other. Because indifference is the opposite of what God has called us to. God has called us to love one another. Indifference means I don't care what's happening. Love means I do care more than anything what's happening. And how we relate to each other matters. How we connect to each other and how we interact with each other matters. In fact, this is what I want you to grab a hold of this morning over the next few minutes, that living life together deepens our faith and prepares us for adversity. Living life together like this on Sunday morning on Tuesday evenings or Wednesday afternoons or Saturdays at lunchtime when we're in our groups or Tuesday evenings when we're in our equipped classes or Sunday afternoons when you're in your radical mentorship group or however you're connected, when you're serving with your team on a Sunday morning, living life together deepens our faith and it prepares us for adversity. Now, Tim's given us some good background and intro on 1 Thessalonians, so I'm not going to rehash that for us this morning. He's done a good job with that, but if you weren't with us, let me sum it up for you. Paul and Silas planted a church, and then they got run out of town. Okay? All right, let's keep going. That's the gist of it. If you want to know more, read Acts 17. That'll explain it all to you. Paul and Silas were not there very long. But Paul had developed some really deep connections with these people in this very short time. And we're going to read a few verses here in a moment, starting with 1 Thessalonians 2.17. And what I want you to notice as we read through them is he uses some really intense words to describe how he feels about the people in 1 Thessalonians. Now, as we read that, we understand how he feels about them we 're going to see some things we're going to see three ingredients that lead to true Christian community, and we 're going to see five reasons why we need it okay so let's start with this three ingredients that lead to true Christian community here's number one, we need to have a desire to spend time together here's first thessalonians two seventeen But since we were torn away from you brothers. For a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Now we're just going to pause. I'm not going to read through the whole thing and then go back. We're just going to read it as we go and work our way through it. But notice what Paul says We were torn away from you. Oh man, to Paul, when he had to leave, when they got him and Silas out of there so that they didn't get killed at worst or at best get arrested, I mean, that felt like a mother might feel if her child was ripped away from her. That's what Paul is saying. We were torn away and we really desired more than anything to see you face to face. Paul wanted to be with them more than anything. He wanted to be in the same room, in the same house, sitting at the same table. He didn't say, hey guys, shoot me a friend request on Facebook. He didn't say, I want to follow you on Instagram or maybe shoot you a tweet. He said, I want to be with you face to face so that we can talk, we can share life together. Let me ask you a question this morning. How's your desire to be with your fellow Christ followers? Not virtually, not digitally, but physically together. It's very interesting, and this is not just my opinion because I'm speaking about our connections together, and I'm a pastor, and I want you to be here, and I want you to come to classes, and I want you to go to groups, and I want you to do radical mentorship. It's not because of that. I'm not making this up. But all the Harvard guys and the Yale guys and the Princeton guys and gals are doing all these studies about all the digital connections that we have in this culture, and do you know what they're finding out? They're finding out in this age of all of this connectivity, air quotes, we are less connected to people than we have ever been. You will say, dude, I got 500 friends on Facebook. Okay, but how many of those could you drive over to their house and knock on the door when you're hurting and see them open the door and welcome you in and give you a cup of coffee and wrap their arms around you and care about you? How many? Paul said, I want to see you. I want to see you face to face. I just want to be there with you so that we can interact and truly be together. That's why after church, Art and his team whips up all that stuff out there. It's not because we think you don't know how to get yourself a snack when you get home. It's because we're trying to slow you down. Out the door, look, coffee, (laughs) donuts, banana slices. I don't even know what's out there. I never get back that far. We're trying to slow you down. Hey, hang on. Stop. Talk. Interact. Meet somebody you've never met before. You may find out that there's someone else here this morning that knows exactly what you're dealing with because they're dealing with the same thing. That's why we're constantly talking about small groups. It's why we have those equipped classes on Tuesday nights. It's why there's 35, 40 of our people going through radical mentorship right now because we want to foster those connections. Now listen, I get it. Families aren't perfect. For some of you, when I say we're a family, little bells start going off in your mind. You say, I already got one of those. I don't want another one. I know that families aren't perfect, and I'll tell you this right now right up front, and this may sound weird if you've never been here before to hear me say something like this, but this family isn't perfect either. This church family is not perfect. Do you know why? Because it's made up of imperfect people, and there is no perfect family, and there is no perfect church family. But together we walk through life and we deal with our difficulties and we deal with our sin and our imperfections and we encourage each other to keep going. But it's got to be face to face. Here's the second ingredient that leads to true Christian community. It's a realization that it's going to take effort. Listen to 2.18. Paul says, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. That's interesting. Satan hindered us. Wow. Satan made it really difficult for Paul to get together with these people that he loved. Now, the word hindered there means to block. It means to block the road. Actually, it's a military term. If we were living back in the first century and you were part of the Roman army and your commander said, I want this platoon right here, I want this battalion to go over here and I want you to hinder the enemy, what he meant was I want you to block that road so that they can't get through. I don't know how many history buffs there are in here. How many history buffs? Okay, four out of 250. That's discouraging. Okay, moving on. If you read anything about World War II, one of the huge, important, critical, vital maneuvers and strategies as the Allies swept across Western Europe to reclaim what Hitler had already taken was controlling the bridges. And before the Allies would get there, Hitler's troops would try to blow up the bridges. Why? Because you can walk across the fields, 500 people across. You can drive tanks and troop carriers and anything, anywhere you want to go, mow right across the landscape. But then you get to a bridge that's 300 feet wide, and what happens? We funnel down to a little two-lane bridge, and they tried to control the bridges, and that's what Paul is talking about here. He says, I want to come to you, I want to be together with you, but Satan is throwing up roadblocks, so we can't get there. Okay, Mike, I know that's what it says, but is that a real thing? I mean, does Satan really do that? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever tried to get four or five of your brothers and sisters in Christ together to have a meeting or to plan something or to work on something together or just encourage each other? Have you ever tried to do that? If you have, then you know it's tough, isn't it? It's difficult. Yeah, 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 I get it, I get it, but that's just because we're all busy. That's not Satan. Well, I don't know. How many distractions do you have in your life that keep you from doing the things that you know that God wants you to do? Now, as you catalog those in your mind, can I ask you this? Do you think Satan could possibly have anything to do with making those important in your mind, elevating them? so that they become more important than being together and doing what God wants us to do? Satan will distract us in any way that he can because he knows that we are much more vulnerable when we are alone. He wants to keep you on that side of the bridge and everybody else on the other side because he knows he can get you easier over here. Look, guys, we have got to wake up to all of the distractions in our lives that keep us from doing what God's asking us to do. I mean, what are we going to do? Are we going to get to the end of our lives? Are we going to stand before Christ and he's going to say, how come you didn't encourage that guy? I put him right beside you and you said, Lord, I need to watch all those ball games. I need to play Candy Crush at least a half hour a day. I need all these things. Those excuses, I know, I'm, I know you think I'm being smart and I'm getting you to chuckle and that's fine, but I'm telling you folks, this is real. We are going to stand before Christ and he is going to say, Because you're a Christ follower, because your sins are forgiven. He's not going to bring up your sin. That's taken care of. But he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? I gave you 24-7. I gave you 365. How did you spend it? And what did you let keep you from doing what I asked you to do? Here's the third ingredient that leads to true Christian community. A willingness to make others a priority. Listen to two, nineteen and 20. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. and we read that and we say i have no idea what paul's saying there like really what does that mean you're our glory and joy that's weird let me translate for you paul says you know what makes me happy you know what makes me smile you guys your growth your faith That's what makes me smile. That's what makes me happy. That's what I'm going to be thankful for when I stand before Christ. I'm going to say, look at these guys. Look at these guys. I'm not going to say, look at what I did. Look at what I've got. Look at these guys. These guys are in my small group right here. Dean. Spencer, Gavin, you know what makes me smile? These guys, these guys, when I see them grow, when we sit there on Wednesday afternoon, or oh, it's Mondays now because Gavin's work (laughs) schedule change. Monday afternoons, I usually show up. Monday afternoons and we sit there and we talk about our lives and we talk about what we're reading in the scripture and what we're learning and we pray together. That makes me smile. Friends, we have to be willing to make other people a priority. And if we don't have any room, if we don't have any margin in our lives, then people become an inconvenience. I don't have time for this. How often does your phone beep, buzz, whistle, or hum, and you look at it, and someone needs you, Or, need your help, and you say, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for this. This is a deliberate decision to build enough flexibility into your life, into your schedule, into your family, so that you can care about other people, so that you can care for other people. And it's not gonna happen by accident. I hope that you're not a person who governs their spiritual life this way. I'll go to church when I have time, or I'll join a small group when I have a chance, or I'll serve on a team when I get a few extra minutes, or I'll visit my neighbor, or I'll check on this person, or I'll see how they're doing when I have time. I hope that's not you, because if it is, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Those are the three ingredients to true Christian community. It's very possible that you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, great, whatever. I hear what you're saying. I just don't think that's me. I just don't think I need that. I mean, I've got friends. I've got people to talk to, hang out with, or I've got a family, I've got a spouse or children or grandchildren that fill up my time. I'm not looking for anything else to do. Or you may be saying, I'm an independent person. I kind of like to, you know, cruise down life's highway solo. I want you to see that Paul wraps up this little section by giving us five reasons why you and I need a true Christian community. Here's the first reason so that you can get established in your faith. Look at 3, 1 and 2. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker on the gospel of Christ. Notice to establish and exhort you in your faith. Paul sent Timothy to establish them in their faith. The word establish means to apply downward pressure. It means to fix or to solidify. And in our ongoing efforts to enlighten and inspire you, I want you to know this morning, friends, that this is a GRK. This is a structural lag screw. Fascinating, I know. This is one of the single greatest inventions in deck building in 50 years. And we use these when we want to make sure that nothing comes flying off. Okay? Rob and I just built a deck here a couple of weeks ago. The snow came and ripped it right off the side of the house. And Rob was doing the cleanup, and he found that they had attached the deck to the house whoever built it originally with little tiny nails and little short stubby screws. And the snow came down and ripped it right off the house. So you know what we did? We grabbed our drills and our GRKs and we put GRKs in that deck. We sunk them down in and we tightened them up. And I can tell you what, folks, I don't care who's here this morning, there is no way that you are getting that off. It's got teeth and it's got threads and it's sucked right down in there, and it's not moving. And that's what Paul was saying when he said, I sent Timothy to establish your faith, to lock it down so that you wouldn't wonder what you believe and what you think. I want to solidify it and get it solid in your hearts and in your mind. This is what I believe. And that is one reason you need true Christian community so you can get established in your faith. Here's the second reason you need true Christian community so that you can weather the difficulties of life. Look at 3 3, just the first part. That no one be moved by these afflictions. The word move means agitated or disturbed, the word afflictions means compression from being forced into a narrow space. In other words, to be restricted and to have no options. You know what it's like when difficulty comes in your life, right? It just feels like you're walking along one day and you have not a care in the world and you have all of your life in front of you and then all of a sudden something difficult happens and then what takes place? Your world goes like this, right? And then it goes like this, and then like this, and then like this. And pretty soon, all you have is that one thing in front of you, and you can't wiggle out of it one way or the other. You're stuck. And that's what Paul is talking about here. When these afflictions come, I don't want you to be agitated. I don't want you to be disturbed. Your faith has to be nailed down and solid so that when everything around you starts to move, you don't get blown away. You have to be able to say, when the difficulties of life comes, I know that this is true. I know that God loves me. I know that he wants what is best for me. If we don't have that, then the first time something difficult happens in my life, I'm going to say, why is God ruining my life? Why is God ripping up what I'm trying to put down? Here's the third reason we need true Christian community, because difficulty is part of life, especially the Christian life. Look at 3B. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Now, I know that anybody that's lived any amount of life whatsoever knows that life isn't easy, but there is often a tendency to think that when we come to Christ, when we trust him for salvation, that things are going to get a little smoother, right? It's going to get a little better. We're not going to have to worry about some of those things anymore. Unfortunately, that is just flat out ignoring what the Bible says to us. There are no promises of ease in the Bible, but there are lots of promises about how God loves us and is always with us and will always strengthen us. In fact, did you notice the word that Paul uses in the second half of verse three? He says what? We are what? Destined for this. Yeah, that's not how our world usually uses destiny, is it? This is my destiny to be a star, to be famous, to be wealthy, to be comfortable, to have whatever I need. This is your destiny. This is what our children are taught in schools. You can achieve anything that you put your mind to it. Um, No, you can't. No, I'm not trying to crush little kids' dreams or anything, but you know. There is real life that we have to live. I wanted desperately to be a starting pitcher for the Boston Red Sox. And I played as hard as I could every game, but guess what? No million dollar contract for me. But I thought I could achieve anything I put my mind to. No, you can't. That's bull. That's not What God promises us, he promises us that if we will be strengthened and solidified in our faith, that he will walk through life with us when it gets difficult. Guys, look, I don't want to discourage you, but this is our destiny. This is what we are here for to walk through the difficulties of life in the power of God so that other people will see him in us and say, hey, my life is difficult too. How do you do it? I don't. (laughs) I can't. But somehow God gives me the strength every day to keep doing what he's asking me to do. So I get up and I do it. Here's reason four that we need true Christian community. Because we told you difficulties would come. Three, four says, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were going to suffer affliction. Paul says, we kept telling you it was gonna happen. Make no mistake, friends, this life will be difficult this life will be difficult get ready and here's reason number 5 because difficulty came <laughs> look at the last part of 3 4 just as it has come to pass and just as you know it happened now i know these last 3 reasons are all the same reason but paul said it 3 times so i thought it would be okay if i said it 3 times it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Do not be surprised when life gets difficult. Do not be surprised that everything does not go smoothly in your life. That's why you need true Christian community, so you can get your faith solid, so when the difficulties come, you can keep going. You need to be connected. You need true Christian community. You do because living life together will deepen your faith and will prepare you for adversity. I promise it will. Guys, listen. Much of what we are called to do in personal spiritual growth Much of what we are called to do in our mission to reach people in our lives depends on our relationships with other Christ followers. We need to pray for God to bring us together. We need to pray for him to strengthen our bonds. This is his will for us. Folks, this is God's will for us, that we would be connected, that we would be united because of what Christ has done for us. I know that we're all different. I know we all have different thoughts and hopes and dreams and priorities and backgrounds and goals and all of those things, but we have one thing in common, and that is Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And that one thing we have in common must become more important than everything that we have that is different. It's his will for us to be connected and to be united. It was his will 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote that to Thessalonica. And it's his will when we read it today in 2019 that we would be together. Father, thank you for your goodness. I pray that you will use these times that we have together and many others to strengthen these connections that we have to establish us in our faith so that when life gets difficult, we can keep going, that we're not blown around, that we're not knocked off kilter. And when the winds do come up against us and we do shudder and we do question and we do wonder, may there be another brother or sister that we are connected to closely who can come alongside and wrap their arms around us and walk with us together. That's your design, that's your desire That is the destiny of the church, that we would go together into what you have for us this week. And that's what we pray here this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. Have a great week.